0: Welcome to Healthy, Wealthy, and Grateful with your hosts, Coach Dave, Heather, and James, where we provide you with the tools and entertainment to bring clarity, balance, focus, and butterflies to your everyday life.
1: Grateful you got Coach Dave, you got Heather Andrews, and myself, James Johnson, and oh my gosh, we've got Dove Gibson back here again. A two thousand and six skeleton gold champion, a world champion in two thousand and five, a fireman, a fire captain, a, a good old Canadian A, and he's 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 here to talk to us again about this. And and I wanna I wanna tell you that, you know, if you came here Wondering, well, how does this work into healthy, wealthy and grateful? Well, it certainly works into healthy. I mean, no matter how you look at it, we're talking about sports here and talking about being healthy. We're talking about the mental aspect of it. But I want you to to remember that you can also take and and you can put that into being grateful and being wealthy because you can be wealthy in many ways. It's not just about the money it's about what's going on inside your head and so much of what Duff is talking to us about here today is what's going inside of our head and how outside people influence what goes on inside of our head and we were having a conversation here backstage that I'd kind of like to bring back where and Heather maybe you could ask that question again about how that how that brought that up and let's let's talk about that because I I I don't want to miss that.
0: Yeah. So we were talking a little bit backstage stuff about mindset and how, you know, as an athlete on an Olympic level is different than the professional athlete in terms of when you don't hit your mark, essentially. And you, you know, what it's and how critics, whether it's a news reporter or our parents or our boss, how that can impact you. So you had a great story about a newspaper reporter and a professional athlete versus somebody who's competing at an Olympic level. Can you just recount that for us?
2: Right. There used to be a a program in Canada here on the sports network called the reporters. And it was right before the Vancouver Olympics in 2010. And one of our, one of Canada's best skiers who has is a crystal globe winner and a two-time world champion but not an olympic medalist uh to that point in the olympics the vancouver olympics were coming up and he said you know as olympic organizing committees tend to do they predict how many medals are going to be won and he made the comment to a reporter that he could do without the predictions because there was enough pressure already and this on this Uh, episode of the reporters this gentleman who typically reported on professional sport said that he needed to deal with pressure or get out and and that uh, I think you got the feeling uh, when we were talking off camera here that uh, that really rubbed me the the wrong way because that's someone who will never be in the arena to, to quote uh, Roosevelt's old old quote there, and right. can never really have an appreciation for what skiers like Eric Gay will have to do once every four years. And that is essentially be perfect because, and I, I use skiing as a, an, uh, an analogy for skeleton because you're very fast when you're not turning. If you're turning, you should carve as opposed to scrape. And so if you're skiing and you're carving, great. If you do a little bit of a braking motion, then literally you can come back in four years if you're good enough to try again, that's the winner of that race will be perfect on that day. And someone who is used to, you know, criticizing uh, uh, hockey or football or something else, those are, or, or I'll speak about hockey because I think it's the best example for this uh, scenario When when a defenseman gets the puck, it's critical that you clear the zone. How many times in a game does that not happen? And it leads to a scoring opportunity or it doesn't. The point is that you can make a mistake in the Stanley Cup finals and, and be down three nothing in the first five minutes and still win the whole thing. That's not what someone like Eric Gay or a skeleton athlete or any kind of a race course or an Olympian has to deal with an Olympian has to deal with something that's completely different, which is live in obscurity for four years. And then whoever essentially is perfect on race day gets, gets you know, three people will get a medal and everyone else can come back in four years if you're good enough to get to that level. And so the, the performance anxiety is a huge part of what we have to deal with because it doesn't matter what you did last week. The Olympic medal is worth... 10 20 times what even the world championship medal is worth and so that adds to the pressure and so everyone needs to think about that and understand you know again this ties back to you specifically what works for you and so everyone has their own methods and techniques
3: so how did you prepare when you were an athlete um, to do this because i mean i would think that the hot being in those boards um ever um being in more hockey sports and and th- th- those things um that must just be super intense and crazy like how did you do it
2: well it's you know uh when we go to a race we have six training runs and then a race typically on the world cup circuit you have three practice days then they'll do either the women's race one day and then the men's race the next or vice versa. And then there's a travel day. That's typically a a World Cup week. And the Olympics would be basically the same. So if you have three days of two runs, that's about six minutes of actual practice. So (laughs) in the sliding sports, we tend to do what, um, what what would be valuable for everybody, but we out of necessity do it more dramatically more than anyone else, which is visualization. Okay. And so prior to, uh, the Vancouver, or sorry, the, the, the Torino Olympics, which is the one where I had my great, uh, highlight. My wife had like, I'm staying in the village. My wife was in Torino. I hadn't seen her, uh, in a week. I didn't want to worry, you know, did she make it there? So we agreed we were going to meet at the venue an hour before the race. And then I could forget about it and just focus on one thing. And so we met at this particular spot and she, we still sort of laugh about this because she was crying and crying and she was inconsolable from the pressure. She couldn't handle the pressure. Whereas for me, I can warm up, I can jog around, I can do visualization of exactly what I want to happen. And it's, there's an outlet for me. There's no outlet for her. She just had to wait and hope. Right. And then it's all in someone else's hands. And for, for me, it, that's different. So when, in one fundamental way, it's it's different. And visualization is a huge part of that.
1: How many, how many times do you get to run that track on a practice before you actually run it?
2: Well, this for Torino, it was, we had a World Cup the year before. So it was ready a year in advance. And that's a, a lot compared to... Some I, by the time the Olympic race came around, I figure I had about 35 practice runs So on
1: that that track,
2: on that track. So that is hardly anything. And so I experimented with how many visualizations I did like for a training week we had the year before I tried to do a hundred visualizations for every run down the track. Now that's hours and hours of visualizing because- so now
1: you're, you're visualizing each turn as you go and where you want to be on the turn. Is that, it's to get that in clarity?
2: That's right. I'm visualizing what I see, what I feel, what I do for a run. And then I, I tried to do that a hundred times for every run down the track. And it was, that was probably, in hindsight, that was probably too much because it was exhausting. It was, you get lazy. So there was a a point of view video that someone had taken that because I didn't want to keep thinking and I was tired of thinking of it, I would watch the video and the video would go late into corner six. And so I was thinking, oh, am I, I hope I'm not training myself to, to uh, go late in the corner six. But the reality is, and this sort of ties into something that we spoke about last time, is perfect practice makes perfect. I've heard that many times, but in certain courses, the course forces you, it's very difficult to thread the needle in certain cases. And so if you don't thread the needle, you better be practiced at handling that it, that it hasn't gone completely perfectly and how do you get it back?
1: How and fast so, are you going when you're going down that?
2: Well, the Torino track isn't, uh, it peaks out at about 125 kilometers.
1: So that's about eighty-five miles an hour, or something like that. Something like that. So, at, at what point on the track do you change your diaper? <laughs> <laughs> it's early on, I would think.
2: The first year is the answer. 80,
1: eighty-five miles an hour with your face six inches from the the from the ground, you know. You're, I, I would imagine you got to wear a diaper.
2: <laughs> well, you're fit. Like if I. If I'm lying on my sled like this and I go like, if I make this motion, I'm sorry, this is a podcast, but if I right. go like this with my chin, I can touch the ice, it's right there. So well, that's it's,
1: not even two inches, that's like-
0: Basically that's, a turtle head move for anybody listening. It's just basically sticking your head out like you're a turtle out of its shell and you will drag your chin.
1: While, while turtle heading on the other end. but speed. <laughs> that's, <laughs> key. that's key. <laughs> right.
0: You said something really important, Duff, that I think is a take home message for anyone who is performing, whether that's on a stage or whether it's on a court or whether it's on a skeleton track or your company boardroom, which is visualization. You spent hundreds of hours visualizing the outcome. And I want to talk, can you just talk somebody through that process of what it takes to visualize the end of what you're trying to achieve, sort of the end in mind?
2: Well, for us, it's very, um, it's interesting because how it relates to skeleton is, is doubly important for everybody else because, and this is just, this is of no value to anyone who isn't in skeleton. Well, it, it is actually now that I, now that I say that out loud, but, uh, our, to be faster on a skeleton, your body is the shock absorber. So if you have any muscular tension, um, that slow, that literally slows you down. And so you visualize breathing out and being a dead body in essence for certain moments. There are times when you're steering, but you have to exhale and you have to relax. That literally makes you go faster. And so that's, you know, now that I say that, that is relevant to if you're performing on a stage or whatever, it's, you know, muscular tension doesn't help anybody anywhere, but it's, it's, it actually translates into metals or not in, in skeleton. But the, um, the visualization is you close your eyes because you're, you want to see what you will see, you imagine what you will see and you imagine what you will feel. And so there are athletes who lean forward to, to sort of orient the head the way it will be when you're lying on a sled. There are athletes who actually lie on a bench and visualize that way. Um, there are athletes who sit in a chair like I am now and then imagine steering. And But you can see the, the muscles activating as they will, as they're imagining it. And so it's the, the great purpose of visualization is to put your body into... The mental state, as I mentioned, I had only done the the Torino ta- track 35 times before the Olympic race, but I had done it thousands of times in my head. So my body felt like it was my home track, like something I had done a little bit wrong many times. I know not to panic because I know exactly what to do in this little situation if it goes wrong. So there's no tension, there's no extra making it worse, there's no panic. I've done it 2000 times, my body, I had literally done it 35 times, but to, and that's a huge advantage to the Italian team or whatever the home team is at the given Olympics, but I trained my mind to believe it was the home track by the time that came around. So it's a full kinesthetic, everything, feel, visual, everything.
0: And research puts it. Sorry.
1: Go ahead, Go ahead, Go
0: ahead. Research would suggest that's exactly what it is. Your brain cannot tell the difference between what is and is not. So by visualizing what you had to do every single turn, you know, exhaling, releasing your muscles, you know, um, when you needed to steer, when you needed to back off. By doing that, you actually, your brain actually believes that you are, and so. I think for the take home message, if I'm hearing you, is that preparing those hundred times were just as important as those 35 times that you actually got to practice.
1: I think it's really important to point out that, that, you know, you can use things like vision boards. Um, You know, if, if you're, if you're sitting around and you want to put together a garden, you're going to visualize what that garden looks like you know just just like an athlete as like an athlete visualizes going down that track you're going to visualize what that that garden's going to look like if you're going, if you're talking about finances if you sit around and think about it all the time about how broke you are and how you're never going to get out of the hole i can promise you that's exactly where you're going to stay all right. But if you can visualize a time when you're no longer broke, all right when you have a paycheck that's coming in so you don't have to go to work, then you can eat that elephant and you can work your way there. So I think visualization is a really, really important factor. I mean I can I can see a time in my yard where I'm going to build boxes of my garden. I haven't done that yet. I've done many, many other things, but I can see that going, I can see that happening, all right? And as long as I can see it happening in my head, that which you can conceive, you can achieve. And I I think that's very important to understand about the physical side. If you you have a, a one pack and you want a six pack, then you should probably work towards that six pack, but visualize having that six pack. Does that make sense? Agreed.
2: Yeah. And I think it ties back to what we spoke about in the last podcast about passion. It's... When I visualize a hundred times on my time off, that's a very specific thing. But the rest of the time, I'm still dreaming about it. I'm still imagining what I felt like in the middle of that corner and what it felt like to come out accelerating as opposed to fighting because I'm too high when I should be lower down on that curve or whatever. So it's, it's, I, I, I say that as a coach, there were two types of athletes that I, that I coached, and one was preferable to the other. One was the kind you need to kick in the pants on a regular basis to get them back and focused on what they should be doing. The other is the kind of athlete where you have to recommend a book to, or a stupid comedy, you know, uh, video or something on iTunes to distract them from going crazy because they're absolutely obsessed with what they're trying to accomplish, right. and. Uh, that's, you know,
1: speaking of a book i want to hear again about your book and how would we contact you
2: um the tau of sport uh it's going to be available you know on the various ebooks platforms and an audiobook as well through audible um probably i'm hoping in the next month but there's never having done this before i'm wondering if one month actually means two but uh or
3: three or four yeah that, <laughs>
2: You've got a little bit of experience on that, David. <laughs> I do. Yeah. So so oh, soon oh enough. And,
1: and how, would they heart- re- how would they reach out to you? Do you have an email address, a website? Do you have a phone number? How how, does, how do people get a hold of you if they want to continue this conversation?
2: Well, I, I probably through the social media channels. So I'm uh, I, on Twitter, I'm Duff Gibson. On uh, Facebook, I'm Duff Gibson. On Instagram, I'm Duff Gibson. So everywhere yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Duff, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic series and, uh, I'm sure there's going to be great desire for your book. And we certainly appreciate the opportunity to have you join us. It's fantastic to be able to take some of these concepts that all of us can use for mindset and passion and also just playing, I think play is so important right now, um, yeah. during the pandemic. So, Thank you so much for sharing your experience and uh, joining us here on the podcast.
3: Yes, thank you. you. Um, So I was able to read this book early, uh, and it is a fantastic book that everyone should order ASAP because uh,
1: there is plenty of good info in it. And so, you. you know, as we wrap this up on, on this, this podcast, and hopefully we'll have you again back in the future, but the, what would you leave the listening audience with? I mean, how would you surmise all this for, I, I'm not an Olympic athlete and I'm not going to stick my face at half an inch from the ice and go $85 an hour down the thing. What would you leave the everyday Johnny lunch bucket with to, to go out there and improve their life?
2: I, I- I know it's an old message. I know it's a cliche, but I keep coming back to the love of the game in sport. It's a love of the game. It's in, in business, it's a follow your passion In anything else. It's a, it's a chase your passion kind of a thing. And I, you know, I'm i uh, I'm 54 years old. And so in the fire department, I have to retire at 60 and I'm just, I'm hanging on so that I max out my pension, meaning I have so many aspects of my life relating to the book and another uh, book that I've been working on for many years that has absolutely nothing to do with sport that I'm just passionate about. And so you know, for young kids and, and for my kids, frankly, relating to sport, but this is just a microcosm of the bigger picture, it's get out there and try a variety of activities. If you like music, try playing something. Try playing several different things. If you like the theater, if you like math, whatever it is, get out there and expose yourself to many different things. Because life, uh, you know, progress, gratitude, whatever, it manifests dramatically when you find what it is that you really love to do. And so, that's not a that's not a unique message. That's not a clever or insightful message but it's a, it's a valuable one in my opinion.
1: It's actually an incredibly strong one. My, my expertise lies in retirement. That's what I do, retirement and estate planning.
0: Thank and you I for listening you to Healthy, finances, Wealthy, and Grateful. Retired. Be sure to join Dad. our Facebook so group. Remember, you know, you know live like you are going to die tomorrow and plan like here. you are going to live forever. You just might. I, I, and don't forget to no. stop and smell it's the flowers along the use. way.
1: So exactly when do you want to be put out of use? okay and so I, I don't think i need to tell you this but i certainly think that we need to mention this to the to the listeners that are out there that you don't retire you redesign and so what happens is is that so often people I'm going to retire when i'm 50 well what are you going to do for 50 years and they look at me like i've lost my mind okay the reality is is that we we live in retirement now an average of 26 to 30 years that's longer than most people worked to get to retirement. So one, if you hate your job, find something you love to do and get paid for it, all right? And if you gotta stay in your job, even though you hate your job to get your pension, whatever the case may be, then find something you love to do and get paid for it. So that's, that's pretty much what you were saying right there is, you know, find your next passion. What is your next passion? And always remember to be grateful, always remember to be thankful and as and, and positive and celebrate the positives that are in there. Duff, thank you very much for coming here. Dave, did you want to say any goodbyes to him? I do. Duff and I have been friends for a long, long time.
3: And I can think back to, uh, the times that we trained, uh, I was uh, an informal training partner for a while there, and uh, he kicked my hiney up and down over and over and over again. Such a good guy, such a hard hard worker, and
2: uh, yeah, good. Well, thanks, Dave. That's nice of you to. It's nice of you to say. That's that's going back a few years, eh?
3: It's going back a long t- time. Yeah.
2: I won't challenge you now. Put it that way
3: <laughs> well, gone. I, i've gotten you know faster so <laughs>
1: yeah. so we're healthy wealthy and grateful coach dave heather andrew we had our guest dub gibson we want to thank you very much for listening remember to live like you're going to die tomorrow playing like you're going to live forever because you just might keep smiling we'll see you on the next podcast duff we can't wait to have you back again in the near future Hey, thank you very much, folks. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to Healthy, Wealthy, and Grateful. Be sure to join our Facebook group. Remember, live like you are going to die tomorrow and plan like you are going to live forever. You just might. And don't forget to stop and smell the flowers along the way.